0: dot com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello,
1: Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, a special live State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. As I said, this is a special live pod coming to you post USA versus Germany joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light David Mossy, a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire all right Mossy uh, I think you're doing well this is the weekend as I said uh, we just finished watching this USA Germany game um, first off can you hear me Mossy just want to make sure you're there Lou- loud loud okay clear. good just want to make sure um, initial thoughts I got plenty of notes here initial thoughts from a result standpoint not something that is going to look good in the papers uh, papers by the way for all you youngins are things that used to come out every eh, pretty much every day and we used to get them in the morning and read them so the headlines tomorrow will be the united states loses to germany in what has to be said is probably the first real test of this u.s men's national team post qatar uh, german former world champions and all that and i think on the day the stronger team uh, with more talent that ultimately showed. But I think you also have to kind of segment this game into first half and second half, which is something we'll probably do going forward. So not a great result, but certainly some things to build on. But I will say this right as we start, Mossy. And I don't want to speak for anybody on this uh, call. And if you do want to talk, by the way, you just hit that little button, the blue light shows up, and it tells me that you do have something to say. Hopefully, it's something interesting. Hopefully, it is something that you can do in an efficient manner. Let's not have any lobbying here. Um, And it could be about this game or anything for that matter, but obviously, we're coming off of this game. And again, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I do think, Mossy, that there is a sentiment out there that the time for moral victories is done. And it's not that we can't be... Um, that we can't look at layers uh, and that we can't look at a game and parse it out uh, beyond the actual score. But I think that there is a general sentiment that leading up into 2026, this team with all of its talent and all of its depth under Greg Berhalter should consistently be showing us something that not only should we believe in them from a results standpoint, but in doing so, we push aside what I guess would be considered an old mentality of just happy to be here, just happy to actually compete, uh, and just accepting that we are even in the building. Uh, I, think, I think that's correct in, in saying that. So I think that there, the knives will be out regardless. Um, and I think that at, at times tomorrow and today, even on this call, there will be knives out that I think are fair in the result that they got, the way in which they got the result, and a certain sentiment that, you know what, we just want to make sure that when this team goes out there against, yes, elites of the world, which is a Germany, even albeit not the greatest Germany team, that we are not just happy to compete. Is that fair, Mossy?
2: That's fair. I do think, though, although U.S. fans don't want to lose, and that second half was a tough watch at times, a game like this is much more useful than beating up on, Oman and Uzbekistan. It's games like these that you find out what you really have, how far you are. Everything that happened today, good and bad, is a legit data point as opposed to other games where you have to couch everything you say by, well, we're not sure if that's going to translate against better opposition. So I do think this was a useful exercise. And what we have saw is that as the U.S. has improved in talent, the number of teams that they can play proactively against is growing and the number of teams that they're forced to play reactively against is dwindling. But Germany is still on that line of forcing them to play reactively. And even though the first half was better than the second half, and we'll get into it, even the first half was me was jarring because you've just grown accustomed to seeing the U.S. playing the riffraff and CONCACAF and Oman and Uzbekistan and seeing them up against a team that had more of the ball, that was on the front foot, where the U.S. had to do so much defending and just look to capitalize in moments of transition. It felt different than all the games we've been seeing in the lead up to this. And so, yeah, I think that that was a. Difficult thing for U.S. fans to reacquaint themselves with after so many games in a row of seeing the U.S. on the front foot and be able to do whatever they wanted with the ball, and so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the reaction is after. A game yeah, so like you that.
1: mentioned you know this this game and the opposition. I think the environment was good. Connecticut brought it. It was a sold-out stadium. Uh, not great elements in terms of the rain, but that's nothing new and, <laughs> for for these teams to uh, and for these players to uh, to to play in. Um, okay, so let's get into the the actual the actual game. From a lineup perspective, Greg Berhalter comes out with his 11. Not, not too many surprises, although there was this question as to what was going to happen with Gio Reyna. That's a whole nother podcast in and of itself, but we will certainly mention the fact that after all of the drama that happened, Gio Reyna comes in first time under Greg Berhalter, gets the start against Germany with the understanding also that he was limited in minutes and he only played a half. He wasn't. Great, but he certainly wasn't poor. Uh, I thought that the touches that he had were clean. I thought that he he didn't look fatigued in the first half, but obviously there was an agreement as to how long he was going to he was going to play, and he was involved. And as I said, there's a there's a cleanliness about the way that he plays, and I think Kyle Martino actually talked about there's almost a heredity <laughs> when it comes to the way that he can glide with the ball. Sometimes he wasn't as involved. It, as much as I would have liked, or maybe we expected, in that ten-type of position, uh, in the uh, in the midfield there, I think what was interesting is that while we're talking about wanting to see a more evolved type of team, I was left after this first half, Mossy, with a feeling of this was kind of classic, this was kind of traditional, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong here, but we, you know, what do we do? We use speed. Uh, and we know that speed kills, and whether it was Weah or Dest um, or Christian Pulisic, who seems to just be faster even with the ball, you know, kind of like a Peter Novak type. But that speed was something that even a great team like Germany can't handle, and we know, as we said, that, that speed kills. Uh, you know, Balogun, I think, did the job up top of coming back and holding the ball, but we still have not seen yet a full-fledged, I think, Balagun in terms of what we want him to be. I don't know if it's going to happen, but what we want him to be, he has still not he has still not shown that. Uh, Weston McKinney, I thought had uh, a good game. Musa, you know, another solid game, not the greatest of games. Not sold on Chris Richards. Not sold on Scali. Uh, and from a defensive perspective, I think that's where the problems were, especially when we're looking at the first half versus the uh, the second half. And this gets to me another point. And this, I guess, gets back to tactics, if you will, or You know, the tactic of showing players inside, and I know it's by design. There are some teams that prefer that when you're defending, you funnel them into where your players are down the middle of the field and inside. And then there's others that, uh, you know, prefer to funnel it outside. I will just say that as a a former center back, I much prefer to deal with the cross than with somebody coming inside. And the first goal for Germany actually comes from... Dest, and I don't know what, you know, Dest from a defensive standpoint is a whole other thing. I think he's much better on the right than he is on the left, and I think it showed today. And as a defender, I don't think he's he's a very good defender, regardless of what side he's on. He doesn't even show him, basically, but he certainly allows him to come inside. And I know Kyle was talking about the absence of Tyler Adams, but I don't think that that particular goal had anything to do with Tyler Adams not being there. There were plenty of defenders, and while you showed him inside, if you're going to do that, you have to funnel him into players that are going to make the tackle, that are going to break out the plays, and that are going to ultimately win the ball. But I, I'll tell you again, I just much rather, I much rather dealt with a cross and something coming from outside than I did uh, when they were funneling into the middle.
2: All right. Well, let me go back to the very first thing you said, which was that the starting lineup didn't contain many surprises. What was interesting to me is, is that in the absence of Tyler Adams and Anthony Robinson, two guys that we consider bang-on starters, he reconfigured things to get his best players on the field, uh, rather than actually trying to find a like-for-like replacement for Adams at the six or a like-for-like replacement for Anthony Robinson at left back. He instead started this four-two-three-one. Formation with Gio as the ten and just two guys sitting in the midfield and started Dest at left back and Scally at right back. I do think, and we talked about this with Stu in our last podcast, the U.S. needs to find. Uh, suitable replacements for Tyler Adams at that six because it can't just be the default that any time Tyler Adams is out, you play in that other formation. There are opponents where that formation is not suited to play against where you still want to be able to play a 4-3-3. And although Gio had some good touches in the first half, I did think defensively he was off the pace. And a big reason why Germany was able to dominate that uh, first half is because it felt like they were outnumbering the U.S. in the midfield because Gio wasn't a genuine third midfielder defensively. Um, And so I just think that's something the U.S. has to figure out. And yeah, likewise, at left back, I don't want the default whenever Anthony Robinson is out to be that you have to move Dest to that position because uh, I agree with you. I don't think he's as good on the left as on the right. You know, with Serginho Dest, you're constantly making this calculation of does what he brings going forward outweigh his defensive deficiencies? And I think on the right, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It's debatable. On the left, it does not. I'm sorry. He did not bring you enough going forward today to justify what a weakness he was defensively. Leroy Sané had his absolute way with Dest all game. Um, and so I think that's an issue too. So those are two spots at the six and that left back where the U.S. needs to find some alternatives to the starters there rather than what the plan B seems to be right now, which is starting a different formation in the midfield and starting Dest. All right. So uh,
1: Leonard Maloney uh, did not play, and that could be a possibility going forward. And we talk a lot about the depth and the talent that this U.S. team has. And so finding someone uh, that, I mean, who's going to replace a Tyler Adams, given his quality, but someone that can approximate that? Or who knows? Maybe you do find somebody that ultimately can uh, re- re- replace him. But to your point, Geo coming in is a fundamental change of the way the team looks and plays, because that is not even close to a, a like for like. And there's and there's good and bad parts uh, parts of that. But to your point. It really is a very, very different look. Uh, we, we continue to be crap at set pieces. And while Christian Pulisic scored a wonderful goal and deserves a tremendous amount of credit for that moment, it is just mind-boggling and frustrating and maddening each and every time these set pieces go, go wasted because there were plenty of corner kicks, plenty of free kicks. And this is kind of tried-and-tested territory for this U.S. team. And yet each and every time that either he hits it too far Or or doesn't clear the first man, or just puts it into a territory where nobody is. That's a lot of it's on him. Sometimes I I think it's on Greg Berhalter and the team for not knowing exactly what they want to do, but just the sheer waste of the set pieces that we have. And I know I harp on set pieces, but they are important, especially in a game like this. And I thought, you know, that first half, I thought it was an even score at the end of the game, at the end of the half in terms of uh, one to one. We had you know, we had plenty of chances. A lot of them came on the break. I do think that a couple of times when the U.S. got the break, crossed the ball, and it didn't amount to anything, and Germany came back flying the other way, I thought in that instance, the absence of Tyler Adams was much more apparent, because his ability to, one, cover ground, and two, deal with those emergency types of situations where the other team is licking their lips and countering that you know that can be uh, that can be problematic. So anyway, uh, those were things that uh, that stood out uh, stood out to me. Any more personnel out there that you want to focus on here before we get into the second half?
2: Well, I'll just say I thought Bolligan was fine, but but Pepe came on and had a real spark to his game in the last few minutes. So. That's going to become an interesting one there. I mean, I know there's some people that think, no, there's a clear pecking order there. You went through all this trouble to get Balogun and he's going to be the starter and Pepe's going to have to accept being a super sub. While there are others that view it more as a competition. I don't know which way you go on that, but
1: I, I mean, don't know. I, I agree with you, but I'm also a little reticent to give players that come in in a substitute capacity always the benefit of the doubt because it is such a different dynamic when you come in. And so that, in a certain way, I would, you know, Pepe we have seen now over the years, but this is a new Pepe. I think that he has a, a, new, a, a, a new confidence. I think he has grown as a player and as a man. And I think maybe in this next game, you give Pepe a start up top. And that's not to say that you're giving up by any stretch of the imagination on uh, on Balogun. And I, I still think that Balogun's figuring out how he fits into all of this and how he's going to play and i think the rest of the players are trying to figure it out too and while i want reps if that's the way you're going to go if you have someone waiting in the wings who has just needed a little bit more time to come to fruition which might be a ricardo pepe now i want to judge him fairly relative to actually starting against quality and so maybe in this next game you you reverse the roles and have pepe start and see how that goes and just because Pepe might play well in that situation doesn't mean that you've now found your starter, but this is a competition ultimately. And so I want to see them in a fair type of compare and contrast. And sometimes when you just do the, uh, the substitute thing, listen, there's a bunch of people that want to talk. I can see blue lights lighting up all over the place, Mossy. So let's get to some of these questions here and uh, see what the folks thought about today's game and anything else that they uh, want to talk about. Again, try to make it as uh, brief as you possibly can so we can get as many people in here as possible. Let's start right out with the uh, rally mullet. Uh Not even a first time, many, many times. So he's been around for a while. Rally, how you doing, my friend?
3: Hey, USA, 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 Are you still a
1: believer? Are you still a believer?
3: I am a triple G chess match master believer.
1: Okay. All right.
3: All right. I have a couple things I want to say here. This is a tale of two politics. You have the way the U.S. was playing before the goal And the way the U.S. was playing after the goal, I don't know which USA I'm looking at because before the goal, they're running down Germany's throat. They are pressing at every angle of the field. They are passing wide. They're passing in the middle. There's shots flying left and right. And then you see the goal. After the goal, I don't know what Triple G was doing uh chess wise but he looked like he put all his players back behind midfield and let germany run the ball down their throat and at, at that point i'm like are, are we are we serious germany's starting 11 okay class wise when you look at uh they're, they're starting live with um,
1: yeah they're wait they're look they're to to look rally come on let's, let's get to you know don't bore us
3: get to the core let's go to the chorus here what do, you, what do you what do you want to talk about so what we have to deal with now is a a coming of age of where is my, my thing when I saw the second half and after the goal is who on defense can step up and step up to any of these uh, top of the line elite players. And I look across the line and I don't know who – uh, decided that Richards was going to be standing back there, flat footed, uh, ream standing there back foot foot, footed. You had three goals and could have been more with defenders flat footed across the line. And I I don't know if that's what that is, but whatever I saw is, is like, there's no good defensive. All right. I got it. I got it. All right,
1: rally. I appreciate my friend. Uh, I'm done. All right. Listen, uh, a couple of things. Uh, number one, you know, look, I'm not a, a, a Greg Berhalter apologist. I think that it is fair at times, uh, the criticism he has come in for. But I will say it's not like Greg Berhalter did anything after Christian Polisic scored. <laughs> you know, It's not. I mean, you're giving him and all coaches way too much cr- credit. They, they don't have any effect <laughs> unless you're actually changing personnel or pl- completely changing a style. Uh, or something that's going on from a tactical perspective. but it's it's a mental letdown that of course, you don't want to see. You want to keep driving it in. You want to say, hey, we're we're on the front foot. Let's not let this momentum go to waste. But there is a natural inclination as human beings after you have scored, to pull back and take a deep breath. And in that, you may make yourself vulnerable, especially against a team uh, team like Germany. So you know, I think that's much more of a a mentality type of thing. And maybe to your point, Mossy, that lesson that gets learned here is put into the memory bank. And next time they're in a situation where in a circumstance where maybe they are an underdog and not expected to do great things, they do something great to not let, let their foot off the gas, to make sure that they don't let that team back in, whether it's scoring goals or just being on the front, uh, being on the front foot. So, you know, I understand what he's saying as far as the defense, and in those moments, uh, you know, there was a time where they, you know, they bend and they don't break. You're always going to rely on Matt Turner because he's a great goalkeeper and he will make big saves and even some saves that he's not supposed to make. And I think there probably weren't any today that he wasn't supposed to make. There were some good saves and some that were, you know, important in terms of what he did. And he almost actually on that first goal was able to swipe at it and uh, and get it and get it away. So that that's always going to happen. I was much more concerned with, the amount of blue players that were involved and maybe this is well, what rally's saying that could i guess they they could have been involved and weren't involved in moments when they when they needed to be mossy anything on this uh sounds like rally had a few beers in well, that you game know, huh? i mean listen yeah, nice. I, i'm not going to begrudge him that he's a, he's a good man i i uh i wish i was there with him but you know i got to stay clear for <laughs>
2: there was one there was one matt turner save in the second half a left footer shot by Fulkrug from inside the box that was a a near post where that was a pretty neat save but i agree with you there was nothing that was like otherworldly um but yeah no i thought the u.s really struggled defensively for most of this game They, they were doing a lot of chasing and and it just didn't feel solid back there uh you know they're they're fortunate that uh, Germany and what, we can talk about Germany in a minute because you know we are hosting we are covering sure. Euros and so sure. Germany is a, a part of the story too. But uh, you know it is amazing how some of the top soccer nations right now have this issue at center forward. Uh, I put Folkrug through Google Translate and in Portuguese it translates to Richardson, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I do think if Germany had a more clinical center forward out there today that game might have been five or six one because uh, you know he did eventually get his goal one that he, he almost couldn't miss in the second half but that is the one problem spot for germany um and and he did force a nice save from matt turner there in the second half so that was the one turner save that i would highlight that i thought was good
1: i mean today. you know ideally you you want a, uh, a Gio a reina to be in that gundagun type of mode where a lot is going through him i mean i know they're physically kind of different types of players but I mean, they had a lot of talent there on the field. And while, while I don't think this is the, certainly the strongest German team that we have ever seen, I, I, you know, this, there, there is no shame today in losing to this uh, German team. There's disappointment.
2: Yeah, I'll make my Germany point now because we've talked about this on the pod. Their results have been terrible of late, but this is not a country that you look at and you say, oh yeah, of course they're struggling. They've stopped producing talent. I mean, you saw today full aside, side everywhere else. They are absolutely loaded. Still the names. I mean, even the, the players that are bringing off the bench, Goretzka, Julian Brandt, Thomas Muller. We didn't even see Yashua, Kimmich, Serge Gnabry, yeah. uh, Havertz came off the bench. Uh, I mean, Musiala, Gundogan, some of the interplay between Verts. Um, so, I mean, I, I still think, if they get that center floor position straightened out, you know, like I said, we're covering the euros uh, next summer. They're hosting it. I think they're still going to be a force to be reckoned with. All in right. Tournament.
1: Let's, uh, let's take another call here. Let's see if uh, Michael white wants to talk to us here. Michael, are you there? Unmute yourself or forever. Hold your peace. Unmute yourself there. one, one. Hey, There we go. We hey, what's going on?
4: You know, um, <clears throat> I mean, great first half. Um, like it was that I don't want to repeat anything that anyone else has already said. Um, you know, I'm more concerned about U.S. soccer kind of as a whole because um, I feel like we, if we could play and get beat by Germany every you know every, every opportunity, it would be great for us mm-hmm. just to be, be better as a team as a whole to bring in a college football reference. We play in Conference America. We beat the crap out of everyone in that conference. But then when it comes time to play someone in the SEC, we just don't have a shot. But my issue is I just don't know how we can get more opportunities to play these top 20 squads and to really prove ourselves. Like, is there a chance we could do this more? Is there something we're not doing?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, so first off, there's a a practical reality of the way the world uh, is working right now. And there, you know, we've already seen it where you get the best that are available. And especially when the U S is not going to go through qualifying for the next uh, world cup and other countries and other regions are in the midst of games. And a couple of years ago when it all kind of was focused back into making games more meaningful, giving more competitive games, that's all fine and well for, you know, the individual, um, uh, regions. But what it did was it limited the opportunities for a team like the United States that is Kings, uh, of, of CONCACAF. And to your point, doesn't necessarily get a whole lot out of these, uh, these types of games against intra CONCACAF teams. It limited the opportunity for us to be able to, uh, to play against uh, good quality teams. So yeah, Greg Berhalter and the United States Federation would love nothing more than to play the level of Germany each and every time they step on the field. And you know, unlike you know next summer in the Copa America, where there's going to be an actual competition, it's going to be friendly games for the next two and a half years. And you're gonna to have to go out there and you're going to have to play whatever is available, the best quality that you can get. You're going to have to travel if uh in order to get there at different times. But it's it's not gonna be good. And this was why it makes it very, very unique what is happening leading up here to the uh to the twenty six World Cup. It's not even close to what, you know. For example, way back in the 1900s when I was running around and getting ready for the World Cup, obviously we didn't qualify for the 94 World Cup, but that was back before blackout days and we just kind of traveled the world and played international games. And yes, there was a disparity between all the great teams that we played and some not so great teams that we played, but Greg Berhalter and everybody would love nothing more than to play uh, Germany. It's just not going to happen. Mossy, anything on this?
2: Well, I mentioned we're covering the Euros next summer. We're also covering the Copa America. That's a tournament the U.S. is in that in- that includes Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Colombia, et cetera, as well as Mexico, Canada. So that's an opportunity right there. And, yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able to schedule a team like Germany every international window but i think we'll have a few games like this because as the world cup approaches countries are going to want to come over here and play to kind of get the lay of the land so i think certainly relative to the last cycle i think this cycle we are going to have more games against stronger non-conca opposition and, and more of a sample thank sample. you michael
0: for
1: uh, for calling let's uh let's go over to mls buzz see what mls buzz is. hey by the way not a single uh, mls player uh stepped on the field today so can't blame mls <laughs> <laughs> uh let's see are you there uh MLS uh, let's see here MLS bus uh, he's, he's connecting. connecting got it connecting. he's connecting all right well you know let me let me add you again and make sure that uh you know you were able to uh to talk over there we'll find out what's going on I mean while I say there's no MLS players there were plenty of players with an MLS background and have been touched and moved on by uh, by mls and you know i know we make a big deal at times uh about that but the reality is i think most people you just want the best possible players that we can get on the field regardless of where they come from and they can come from anywhere and let's see okay this is not working my friend i don't know what's going on i keep adding you uh, oh wait wait unmute yourself there he shame. is now yeah he's yeah yeah, yeah, there okay, there. yeah i don't
5: know what's going on what's up uh yeah i mean i I think we're we're kind of missing what where a lot of the frustration is coming from okay and i'm I'm curious to get your perspective on it, Alexi, specifically with you having played in what I think is probably the golden twenty years of American soccer right between ninety four and two thousand and fourteen was kind of like as high as we ever got. Um, you know Copa america did, did weren't you on the team that finished fourth place in the nineties?
1: Yeah, we had some Copa moments. America. We had some moments going on. But, yeah. you know, I
5: mean, <laughs> well, but I, I like
1: to think that it got it it got better, and you know, we were scraping the bottom of the barrel. So,
5: <laughs> well, no, I mean, seriously, we in the two thousands, think of everything we accomplished, mm-hmm. and I I would go as far as to argue this is the most talented team that we've had, and in order for them to meet that expectation, they have to accomplish things, in my opinion, that no U.S. men's national team has accomplished before, which would involve finishing better than we finished at a Copa America or a World Cup.
1: Would you agree with that? Yes or no? I, I would. But I mean, look, we're, we're a handball away from going to a semifinal of a World Cup in 2002. So yes, sh- you know, shit happens, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like well, for crazy. Sure. You know, the soccer gods can conspire and, and do some strange, some strange things. I think uh, I, I I think that there has to be it's you know, it's like the, uh, the definition of obscenity, right for the Supreme Court. I, I can't Tell you what it is, but I know it when I when I see it. Or I guess when I see this team doing something that we haven't done before. When I see this team giving me a confidence and a belief that I haven't had before, even living through all of that, then I know that we will have advanced. And it might be reflected in the score, and it might not be reflected in the score. And, and I and I'm I'm loath to do that because I, I'm I recognize the value of the score as much as anybody out there. But first off, this this ascent that we're talking about, it's never going to be linear, right? We're going to have ups and downs. Right. And we've already seen the ups and downs, but I don't know if your point is that that 20 years, and then we have regressed. I certainly think you can argue, you know, not going to the, the 2018 world cup was a regression, but I, I think you can also argue that we came back better. And so it was a step back in order to go two steps forward, not something that was necessary, but it ultimately ended up in you know maybe a, self-examination, or maybe it was just a logical progression of those seeds that were planted long ago coming to fruition. And now we're seeing all uh, all this talent. But yeah, I think that there has to be a recognition, especially for folks that aren't into soccer, that, hey, this is something different. This is something special. And a lot of times that is equated with the score and how well you do in a tournament.
5: Yeah, well, and that's kind of my point, is that we had a lot of those great moments. Think about the team that you guys took to that Copa America or the team that was one handball away from that two thousand two World Cup. You look at the club names, you look at, you know, the the privileges that our young players have had in terms of the systems that they've gone through, the development pathways, the talent that this team has. If for for them to not beat all the expectations that were set, you know, in the last twenty-five years would be a failure. And so my point in saying all this is at no point under Greg Berhalter have we done what we did in our peak in the 2000s and the 90s, which was exceed expectations and play greater than the sum of our parts. I can't think of a single game other than the B-team Gold Cup final where Greg Berhalter has put out a team that exceeded the expectations. So far, you think third in World Cup qualifying, one win in four World Cup games, and I just saw Herc Gomez tweet out, um, that we won one out of 10 games against top 20 teams under Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say that that's, you know, horrible because we're probably around a top 20 team. So we're not falling way below expectations, but we're not surpassing them like it is a part of American soccer, at least the men's team culture, for the last, you know, 25 years. And under Greg Berhalter, we haven't exceeded expectations once, at least in my collection. Maybe you feel differently, no, no. but I can't think of a single time where I feel like we've exceeded – our expectations as a national team and risen above our level and had a game like we did against Spain or finished fourth in a tournament in South America like you guys did in the 90s. Greg yeah, I Berhalter think doesn't I think much. That's he's fair.
1: capable of doing that. Yeah, I think that that is fair. And I think that the jury is out as to whether Greg Verhalter is capable of doing it. And I think that there are plenty of people that have already Well, the jury's not out for some people. I think they've already decided that there's not a chance in hell that he is going to be able to take us to this level that you are talking about. And I think that level uh, and that ambition is completely fair uh, to expect. And if and when. It doesn't happen to call it uh, to call it a failure. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I guess we have to wait and see ultimately if this happens. And you could point to next summer in the Copa America. And obviously, if he makes it all the way to uh, to 2026, doing doing something different. But I know and I don't want to I don't want to grumpy old man this thing too much, because I think there is the tendency and I fall into this. I guess it's a trap too, to say, hey, listen, look at all they have had. Given to them, and all, and, and this is a good thing. I'm glad that, that I'm looking at this team out there and I see all of the advantages and all of the opportunities and all of the pathways that didn't exist even when I was growing up. And look, I stood on the shoulders of others, and, and these guys are standing on the shoulders. That's, that's fine, that's, uh, that's progress. But with that, I think, does come higher expectations. I just want to make sure that they're not unrealistic expectations. And I don't think they are. I don't think yours are unrealistic. I don't think mine are unrealistic. I mean, winning a World Cup, a men's World Cup, I don't think that that is necessarily uh, unrealistic. But again, I think it goes back to there will be a moment. And well, I'm hoping that there's a moment. I, I would think Greg Berhalter is hoping that there's a moment. When people, when that final whistle blows, and it's a combination of the score, But it's also a combination of what actually went on on that field where they say, you know what, this represents progress. This represents something that not only have I never seen before, but something that I can be proud of going forward and something that makes me believe that we are heading in the right direction. And I think there's just too many people at this point that don't feel that that is can happen or is going to happen, given Greg Berhalter, uh, yeah. or or just the realities uh, on the ground of what we are, or maybe telling ourselves that we are something that we actually aren't.
5: Right. You're, yeah, like the, the expectations to, or, or the results on the field to match what we see in terms of the quality, like the, the expectations should be going up in terms of results. So let me ask you, what do you think, what would be exceeding expectations or meeting expectations at the Copa America in 2024. Because again, 2016, one year before we missed the World Cup, third place at home. Night In the 90s, back when guys were playing college soccer and barely getting paid in MLS, we finished fourth place. Now, we've got two guys starting at AC Milan, two starting at Juventus. We've got players playing in the Champions League. Sure. We're playing this tournament at home. So, in my opinion, not getting to a semifinal next year would be a failure. But that at the same time, we haven't seen Greg Burhalter show no. up and, and actually win one of these games necessary to do that. So what do you think should be the minimum expectation? I actually 2024?
1: I actually love the way you're talking about this because it is, I, I guess, different. And I don't think you're being Pollyanna. I don't think that you are being unrealistic in terms of the expectation. Masi, you, dis- you may disagree with me. I mean, look, the U.S. could come up against Brazil in the quarterfinals or something yeah. like that. And if we were to lose to Brazil, in our traditional way of thinking about this team, you'd say... All right. Well, it's Brazil. But to your point, and this is why I get revved up and excited when someone like you talks like this, shouldn't we be expecting more? Shouldn't we say, no, it's it's no longer good enough just to say, well, it was Brazil or, well, it yeah. was Germany or something like that. And that's not that's not necessarily American exceptionalism or anything. That I guess maybe a little bit of it is. But I yeah. think it is also it comes from a belief and a cultural belief that we can do things that haven't done before, that we can be better than maybe others say that we are and i i love that about it i don't want to temper that in you or anybody else uh, anybody else out there and if greg berhalter was on this call or maybe even some of the players were on this call they would be saying hey i, I don't know if they would be saying that but they might be saying you know what hey slow your roll in in maybe a protective type of way mossy I'm, yeah. I'm sorry i've i've been uh, you know uh taking up all of the uh the time here go ahead
2: well, first off, MLS Buzz is a great follow on Twitter. He's uh, got a lot of interesting takes on the state of MLS and American soccer. Interesting is one way to put it, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, No, I I think the expectations should be higher than they've ever been. Now, as you mentioned, it's hard to put like a specific round on it and say they have to get to such and such round because you don't know how the draw is going to shake out. And like you said, they could meet Argentina in the quarterfinals. And if they play great and lose a close game, could go either way to Argentina. Are you going to call that a failure because it went out in the quarterfinals? I mean, so there's got to be some leeway for context there. But I think generally speaking, we're getting to the point, yeah, where the U.S. has to be done with moral victories and has to be, Uh, feeling like they can compete with anybody and got to be entering tournaments thinking about winning them. Now, I will say about 2026, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. We haven't seen... What a 48-team World Cup looks yeah. like. When we talk about teams getting to certain rounds, we're still using sort of a 32-team conception of it. So I got we got to go through one of these 48-team World Cups for me to get a sense of what the groups look like, what type of opponent you face in a round of 32 and around the 16. Uh, we just don't know that yet. So that's sort of an X-factor variable here. If you're thinking about the next World Cup and expectations for the U.S. and how far they have to go, uh, keep in mind it's going to be the first of a whole different type of tournament than we've. been I will used to. say
1: that I will be disappointed if the U.S. doesn't get to the semifinals of the Copa America next summer so even without even seeing it and and you know and I don't think that that is unrealistic you mentioned the history already of having having done that you mentioned also the incredible depth and talent that this team has arguably the most uh, that we have ever seen in history and so with that comes great responsibility with that comes great uh, expectation and I don't think that you know the 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 team or actually I liked in the uh, in the run-up to this game you know even though they they lost to Germany and Germany was a better team I liked the fact that they were talking about. You know what? We can't settle anymore. We can't just be happy with going out there and giving them a good uh, giving them a good game. And I and again, I don't think that they are being delusional. Talk about the U.S. players or Greg Berhalter for that matter are being delusional. Um, and we're only going to see this team, like we said, you know, next summer in a real competitive type of environment to, I guess, more fairly judge them as to what's going on. But all of these things might lead to that moment next summer, and then hopefully in 2026 when good things do happen. MLS Buzz, my friend, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah thank you, guys. Yep. Have a good one. Yep. 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 Good call there. Good call there. Let's see. Yeah, and
2: Lex, and yep. Lex I'm, I'm used to you hogging the mic. It's happened 400 <laughs> times
1: previously. Yes, congratulations today. to us and uh, on our 400th State of the Union. So, um, you know, I can't, I can't believe they let us uh, do this. And thank you to anybody out there that actually listens, downloads reviews, rates, does all the different things that uh, you do, and you can get the pod on all the different podcast platforms uh, out there. All right, let's go around. Let's we're, we're, we're cruising here. We got other people that want to talk. All sorts of blue lights lighting up here. Let's see here. How about, um, let's see what Michael has to say. Michael Higuera, I think that's what it is, if I'm not correct. Uh, Michael Higuera, yeah, there we go. Michael, you're there. Unmute yourself. Almost, almost. There we go. Hey, how's it hey. going, guys?
3: Hey, Hopefully, how are you?
6: Uh, I'm good, I'm good. I mean, it was... Uh two uh, different half matches, right? Um, but I think uh, I mean, obviously everybody wants the U.S. to win. You know, it's our team. We uh, we believe in the team and we believe in the guys. But, I mean, it, one, it's a friendly and it's a friendly that we've had uh, that we haven't had in a while. You know, very, very good team, even though this isn't the best Germany, you know, in a while. But, I mean, it didn't have VAR, so and this isn't an excuse or anything, but I've seen some um, shots where that Pulisic uh, first goal in the first half. Uh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't
1: do anything on – they didn't have the camera angle on the actual broadcast to show us it uh, that Pulisic was off. And, yes, there was no bar. But, hey, wait a second. I mean, isn't this what – all you uh, traditionalists have been screaming and yelling about this isn't the, isn't this the game that you wanted to return to what it used to be and blah 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 on the romantic notion. No, you want you want bar, huh? Oh no, I love bar.
6: I absolutely love it. Yeah, I. Uh,
1: You're I my man. You are my man. That's what I like, Michael.
6: I think it's a better game with bar. Um, you know, countless countless uh, situations where games would have been different with with it than without it. But I mean, so there's that goal. Let's say that could have been, you know, called a goal. And then there's a penalty that potentially, you know, could have been, um, Another goal, like... Yeah, Christian a, you know, Christian messed that world. one
1: up. I mean, he was, he was a bad actor in that one in that he waited a second before going down. If you're going to go down, go down when, when, the, uh, when the actual goalkeeper goes down at your, at your legs there. He did that extra split second, and the referee correctly said, nah, I mean, there's good, there's good diving and there's bad diving, and that was a bad dive. Uh,
6: but I think he got clipped in the knee. Um, it, was, it was a very uh, fast uh, replay that I saw. I could be mistaken... Um, but, I mean, the team looked okay. You know, it was exciting. I don't expect to beat Germany every game, you know, or teams like Germany every game. But I think that the reason people are upset is that, you know, they expect more, and rightfully so. Um, like, I'm not I'm not really a huge Greg, Greg Berhalter fan, but, you know, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt Right now, you know, he's getting new players or, or new format, not new formations, but almost, you know. Okay. Um, right. To his his game, so I'm willing to give him a couple couple games, but I mean, how much is enough? You know, how much is uh, do we just wait them out to the end of the World Cup? Do you know? Do the potentially look for a new manager if things don't go right? No, I, I think mean-
1: I, I think that Greg yeah. burhalter will get to next summer. And if it does not go well next summer and the uh, powers oh, that be really? feel that it's not heading in the right direction, that the, that'll change will be made. I think I think next summer is huge for Greg Berhalter. Um So, yeah, Michael, I mean, I think that this next year we're going to see different you know, looks from this team, but we're really not going to judge this team and therefore Greg Burhalter until they're actually in a competitive environment, which is why Mossy rightfully is pointing out uh, Copa America and how important it's going to be. All right, my friend, appreciate yeah. it, Michael. Thanks. Appreciate yeah, it. See ya. Yep. Well, there we go.
2: Uh, Lex, yeah. can I just say, uh, you know, you referenced the 2002 game where uh, we all know Torsten yep. Frings, Greg Berhalter, Hugh Dallas, the U.S., a handball away from going to the semis. Early in that game, landon donovan was cleaned through on goal and the flag went up and it was the incorrect call And I have a a friend, Andrew Glockner, who to this day, that's the call in that game. He laments more than the handball, that early incorrect offsides on Landon when he would have been clean through on goal. And that Pulisic play in the first couple of minutes today, that ball over the top where he was called off. And then you see the replay and you're like, wait, was he? And because there's no VAR, they can't check it. But that's what I immediately thought of. It is amazing how against Germany all these years later, something kind of similar happened. But yeah, so I was going to ask you about the Pulisic penalty appeal. So for you, dive, no penalty there. Are yeah, are I'm, okay, okay, with I'm okay with
1: that. I mean, like I said, I, I do think, you know, we were talking on the pod last week about um, the Beckham documentary and Simeone talking about it and, you know, how it blows people's mind that there, is, there are countries and cultures that can look at diving, for lack of a better word, um, and can see the, the skill. And I guess even the honor within it. And it's so diametrically opposed to the psychology and thinking of other countries and cultures, especially when it's done against an Englishman and the way that the English think about it and stuff like that. So yeah, I look at that and I say, "Um, you should have gone down earlier. And Christian will say, yeah, but it doesn't matter when I go down and yeah, I was clipped here and there. And well, first off, just because there's contact doesn't mean that there's an actual uh, foul that, uh, that ultimately, uh, ultimately occurred. And by the way, just because there's not contact also doesn't mean that there's necessarily, I just, I was fine with, uh, with, Uh, with that one and had it been in the VAR if VAR had been around uh for this game I definitely think they would have reviewed it and it wouldn't have surprised me in the least given the the way the game is if they had called the referee over and said hey you might have missed one uh here so but I I I still think that it was not great on uh on Christian's part and I think you know if we got him up in the middle of the night when we're at our most honest he would he would agree to that should we take some more calls Mossy? All right. Yep. Let's take some more calls here. How about this? Here we go over here. Uh, how about FK Alex? Some Alexes here in the, uh, in the feed. Hey, what's up?
7: Hey, how are you, Alexia? How are you, Mossy? Hey. hey. I wanted to ask you guys, you mentioned that this is probably the most gifted and golden generation of the United States. But a lot of people don't tend, to, and I understand why, because they're playing for some of the biggest clubs in Europe today, but what I wanted to ask you was, what about that 2009 U.S. men's team that actually made that Confederation Cup final mm-hmm. where they actually beat a great Spain national team and they almost beat the Brazilian national team in the final? Wasn't that kind of a golden generation at that point with the likes of Donovan, Dempsey? Um, you had Tim Howard and Goal who had an excellent tournament. Yep. Josie Galtador. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that, and I had one more question.
1: Michael Bradley? Yeah. I mean, it was that was... So it's, it's interesting you bring this up because at times I know I do, and I got to feel that there are other players and not necessarily players as old as me, but even in those, those intermediate, you know, those, uh, those, those generations that have come between that at times they hear the way that this is, that this generation and this team is talked about so glowing glowingly. And I got to feel that they bristle a little bit, you know, at times I, I bristle because I think that, some people don't realize how good some of these players were, and I get it. It's all relative to the moment that you're playing and the era that you are you are playing in. But there seems to be this this notion that we couldn't kick a ball until a few years ago, uh, or we couldn't understand tactics until a few years ago, and that is couldn't be further <laughs> from uh, from the reality. I do think what we have now, and I think why it is. Fair to talk about this group as the best group ever assembled is the depth that we have, some of the experience that we have uh, in terms of where they play, like you, like you mentioned. But you know, when I when I look at a Christian Pulisic or I look at a Gio Reyna and I look at them purely from their touch that they have and the ability that they have and their, the physical abilities that they have and the way they think about the game, and then I think about someone like, you know, I don't know, a a Tab Ramos or a john o'brien or these i mean there's these these players are i think as good uh and potentially they could be better than those players but again this caveman type of mentality and revisionist type of history when it comes to the the teams out there i just don't think it's right i don't think it's i don't think it's it's fair having said all of that I do think that this group has the potential to be better than anything that we have ever seen. And uh, you know, to the previous callers, our expectations are much higher. They live under a microscope that certainly I didn't, and other generations did not live under. They live under pressures that I didn't live under and other uh, generations didn't uh, didn't live under. And but the trade-off is, Think of all the opportunities that they have gotten. Think of all of the pathways that we're talking about. All of the resources that have been afforded to them—better coaching, better fields, uh, better scouting networks, better everything—from you know from college to youth to the the professional ranks—a better MLS, um, all of those different things. I think have made a better, in general, American soccer player. So if you just take the the, the average professional american soccer player male right now and you put it up against the average professional soccer player male in those previous generations that you are talking about i do think that you are going to see a difference and it's relative to the time and the era that they are growing up with and all of those advantages that we talked about
7: understood and then um thank you by the way and then uh, this next question is for miller my uh, social media brother here uh david mossy I had to ask you, and obviously we all eat our own when it comes to coaching. In the U.S. we always try to blame Burhalter, We get angry if we, we lose, but I think that's with any national team. And obviously, David Mossy, you can ask, you can think about Brazil. Uh, you know, with what's going on right now, people now want Dini's out, uh, Fernando Diniz. And my kind of question is, it kind of leads more to. I know this is a, a podcast on red, white, and blue, but I want to kind of gear towards the yellow, blue, and green. And I want to ask you this, Mossy. Is the Dini's experience right now, is it just not doing well with him as an interim coach because of how they've been struggling in these first three great games, or is it just too early? Muito obrigado e um abraço, Mossos.
1: Wow, beautiful. (laughs)
2: Well, Alex, I don't want to go too far down a Brazil rabbit hole. You can hit me up on Twitter, but I'll just say quickly, because this connects to Greg Berhalter in a way, the biggest challenge that international coaches have is the lack of time to work with players, and the Brazil scenario that's been even exacerbated because you have a guy doubling up as a club coach and an international coach. So it's not even like during the off periods in between international windows, he can sit around and think about and scout different players in different leagues and think about how he's going to, set up Brazil for their upcoming games. He's busy coaching a club team during that period. He really only thinks about Brazil for those couple of days that he walks in for an international window. So uh, I I don't blame Fernando Geniz. Obviously, Brazil had a dreadful result the other night, uh, which is what Alex is referring to. But to me, he's been putting an incredible... Difficult situation here, just holding things down for a year until Ancelotti arrives and coaching a club team at the same time—it's ridiculous. G, so, but we'll, 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 G-Massi, we'll I hope that day.
1: Brazil can still be one of the uh, six and a half teams out of the ten that are able to qualify for the next World Cup. I, I really, I, I'm really feel for them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you guys so um, much. Appreciate it. All you guys right, you. Are awesome.
1: Oh, my goodness. All right. We got we got a couple more here. Mossy, um, we mentioned Gio Reyna on the field and the fact that his minutes are limited um, off the field, given the the drama that ensued after uh, Qatar with them. I, I like to think. And again, we're on the outside that they have moved on. You know, we, there was nothing body wise that we were looking at and, you know, th- any type of interaction that was necessarily shown on the, uh, on the cameras that, you know, we're going to dissect like the Zabruder film, um, because of the relationship and the interesting and unique dy- dynamic that absolutely exists. But I got to feel that they kind of want to move ahead and I got to feel that they have to move ahead. It was interesting that, that Greg Berhalter chose to start him. You know, if, if the, if the orders were, he gets to play a half, right? Start him or don't start him. In doing so, I think Greg Berhalter kind of put out a a fig leaf, if you will, and said, yeah, not only do I believe in you, but I believe in starting you against Germany. And I think that Gio, after that first half, doesn't look worse for wear. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think looks better, and maybe people are even more confident. And I think Greg kind of gets to assume the position of, letting bygones be got bygones and going forward. Now, don't think for a second that there isn't always going to be baggage and history relative to these two. But what you hope is that it dissipates enough where they can go on and they can function in these types of uh, types of setting. I think Greg recognizes, as we all do here, what an incredible talent Gio Reyna can be. It doesn't mean that he is automatically given a starting position or even a, a, a call-up. But I thought it was interesting that he made the decision in this moment that Gio Reyna was going to uh, was going to start, uh, given all that uh, all that is ensued and, you know, all of the different wheels that turn and all of the different ways of thinking about this dynamic. And I'm sure there's plenty of coaches you know that are listening that are out there that would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to kind of figure out what his thinking was as to. Do I start him? Don't I start him? How is it going to play if I start him or not start him uh, uh, going forward? Ultimately started. And like I said, he is part of that first half. And probably by association, anybody that's part of that first half, when they can go look at that and the positive way that they played in those moments, uh, Gio is certainly uh, certainly part of that. Anything else, Mossy, before uh, before we get out of here?
2: No, I mean, on on Gio, I think for now that issue has dissipated. But as we keep talking about, there there will come a day when Tyler Adams is there, everybody's available. The U.S. has a big game, and Greg Berhalter is going to have to decide who to start, who sits. And depending on the opponent, he might think the right move is to sit Gio Reyna, and because of their history – uh, that's going to be an awkward decision for him to have to make. And there's going to be all this baggage attached to it, but you know, he's got to do what he thinks is right for the team. And so the issue might resurface then, but you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge from, uh, from
1: a, from an actual, uh, lineup perspective. And if you were rating, is there anybody that stands out even in a, a three to one loss, uh, that stands out to you in terms of being poor? Uh, I know you mentioned Serginio Dest and his erratic type of performance uh, tonight. So that would probably be number one on your list. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Anybody yeah. else stand out to you and that did not do themselves, uh, you know, a, a service by uh, the way that they played tonight?
2: Um, yeah, I, I didn't love Chris Richards, um, but uh, but no, I, I wouldn't go as far as say he was poor. Yeah, no. To, to your point, I, I don't think the starting line, as we talked about, the first half was not so bad. Yes, Germany was on the front foot. And yes, if you look at the stats, the XG, it was it was way in favor of Germany at halftime. But just watching the game, it felt like it was pretty competitive. The U.S., very dangerous in transition, had some good moments, scored a beautiful goal. So I think at halftime, we would have been having a very different conversation, would have been more positive than negative. And yeah, that speaks to the fact that the starters did a pretty good job. And then as the game wore on in the second half and, and both teams started to make changes, I think they, the gap really showed Well,
1: up. I like to think that uh, over the last hour, we've done a, a fair and balanced type of assessment of this team and of the players and of Greg Berhalter. Is this the end of the world? Absolutely not. Uh, is this concerning? Are there concerning elements to this performance? Yes. Are there people out there, like I said, that uh, have those knives out regardless of what happened and would be find a way to spin it into a negative no matter what? Yes, we have come to expect that when it comes to this team, not just under Greg Berhalter, but uh, it's kind of part of it. And someone, someone asked me today about, uh, you know, I, I, I can't remember what they said, but they, it was basically, I, I don't, I've come to the realization that no matter what, I'm going to complain about the national team, and I don't want to do that anymore. And my, my point to them was, you know what, this is sports. And if you can't complain about sports and whine and yell and scream about sports, then there's a problem. Okay. There, there's plenty of other stuff out there that uh, people complain and scream and yell about. But, you know, sports is, you know, this benign type of thing. And so while I may disagree with those out there in terms of their assessment of players or of the coaches and all that kind of stuff, uh, this is what I want sports to be. I want people to have their opinions. I want people to debate. I want people to scream and yell and be passionate about what they're talking about. And even at times, be irrational about it. That's what sports are, are for. And I don't want to ever take that, uh, take that away. But I do like to think that uh, what we have done here is at least look at this and uh, spin it forward to all the things that are coming. And there's a lot of really, really good things. And so while from a result perspective, this is not going to look good. I do think that there's things that you uh, you can pick out going forward. And it'll be interesting in this next game against Ghana as I mentioned what type of changes he makes or they already pre-planned changes or are they relative to what he saw in this uh in this game go in this game going forward because I do think that this result as poor as the result was will will help help them if you will in this second game coming up against Ghana. And we should expect and I think it's fair to expect a better performance against Ghana, especially when it comes to the full 90 minutes and take that good. That was the first half and be, try to be able to replicate what was good against, uh, against Ghana going forward. anything else before we leave, Mossy.
2: Well, and just to tell people we will do a spaces after that Ghana match yes, as well. So we will be. Uh, stay yep. tuned for that. I do want to. I do want to thank Cat for getting us through the spaces while Sean Sullivan is doing God knows what at his bachelor party as we speak.
1: <laughs> yeah, he, I, I guarantee he's not listening to this right now. If he's if he's doing yes. it right, he's not listening to, uh, right now. So maybe he's listening
2: uh, back. I, I see we've got uh, we've got Jack on. He's excited about another big Michigan victory today. Your Rutgers Scarlet Knights incredible come from behind win over Michigan State. So congratulations on that. Yeah.
1: So and um, uh, and what's his, the the, uh, the Buffalo's over there? It's it's not going well over there for for Dion right now. Oh my now. God. How about the Cardinal yes, coming back yes. and crushing them there?
2: Incredible! And then we've also got Kiara on, who's still in mourning over her Dodgers getting swept out of the
1: playoffs. Yeah, that was uh, three in a row, right? That. Is that uh, is that what happened? My <laughs> yes. goodness, the, uh, that was for the quarterfinals, right? So now we're on to the semifinals. Okay, Correct, semifinals of yes. the baseball on tap, and all sorts of stuff going on. All right, listen, uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. As Mossy mentioned, we will be doing this again after the game against Ghana, so that would be uh, that would be Tuesday. So we won't be recording a State of the Union on Monday, so we can just do it basically after the game and give it to you um, relative to the uh, U.S.-Ghana game. And who knows? Maybe we'll have – well, I think we'll have more to talk about when it comes to that. Thank you to everybody that did participate. I know there's a lot of people that didn't get to come up, but I appreciate that you even hung out with us and that you even wanted to come up and speak. It warms uh, the cockles of my red-headed heart. Continue to uh, review and rate and subscribe and do all those different things when it comes to our State of the Union. As you mentioned, 400 episodes, onward and upward to 500 and beyond. Uh, And we will talk to you next week. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.